She's a 49-year-old bicoastal badass bookkeeper. She has known since she was 14 that she didn't want to have any kids. She owns her own business and she credits a lot of the success she has to a personal safety class she took in her 20s. Firecrackers, let's welcome Ian. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. So you are bi-coastal. I am now, yes. There's a big difference, right, between the East Coast and the West Coast in the States? Yes, there is. There's a pretty big um, cultural divide, um, as well as, obviously, the distance. So, but I, my father was originally from the East Coast, and my grandmother was from the East Coast. And my mother was from California, but her family's really from the Midwest. You know, it's typical American mutt story. So when I went back to the East Coast for college, I was like, oh, oh, like everything suddenly makes sense. So much of my like directness and bluntness and just no BS was all very East Coast and uh, gave me a lot of trouble growing up on the West Coast. But once I, once I found New York, I was like, oh, this is, everybody here is just like me. This is great. <laughs> I can't imagine. I yeah. like people, I mean, New Yorkers, they are very direct, aren't they? And like people in general from the Northeast, mainly. But it, yeah. I mean, I, I find that so refreshing because where I come from, people like to adorn things. So if they want to tell you something, they just go and then like have this explanation and make it all like, you know, wrap it uh, like in candy and then sugarcoat yeah. it, like you guys say. And then, ever telling you what's really going on. Yeah. And then yeah. you have to kind of like guess, but then they're like, no, no, I didn't say that. And it's true. They didn't actually say that, but you're trying to read between lines and it's just it doesn't help. That's very California. That's very California. <laughs> well, it's very Latino. So, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And, but now you're based mainly in California, right? Or in, or in, yeah, the business is still based in New York. I moved back uh, to California for family. And maybe it's the Latino influence here in California that makes it that way. Who knows? Um, but yeah, now I'm spending most of my time here near closer to my parents. Mm-hmm. And he has a sister. Getting older. And I have a sister. It's just and she's also the East Coast. Yeah, it's just the okay. And one thing that really um, just jumped out at me, you know, the, the emails that we exchanged before mm-hmm. our, our interview was that she's also child-free. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it's, um, let's see if I can explain this. My grandmother had three sons on my dad's side, and they're all incredibly close. All, all three of the brothers lived within about an hour of each other growing up. And everybody else in the family, other than me and my sister, live here in California and have lived here in California. And my sister and I both went east, (laughs) about as far as we could go. She actually lived in uh, Havana for like 15 years and now lives in D.C. And I've been living in New York for 30. So it's, it's, yeah, you know, and everyone else is much more um, traditional. But I do have a cousin... One of my cousins is also child-free, and I, I don't think... She's married, but I don't think she's ever planning on having kids. She's in her mid-30s. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's very unusual because um, 
usually there's only like one and then most of the time we're like I'm the aunt or the uncle you know the fun <laughs> aunt or uncle who likes to take my nephews out and like that's that's what I hear the most you know mm-hmm. a, I love being an uncle or an aunt but that's about it but in your case your parents are not going to have any child uh, grandchild grandchildren sorry no 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 hope <laughs> <laughs> And I have to say, I think, you know, I don't think that it's, I don't think that we're child free because she didn't put pressure on us, obviously, but I do think it made it a lot easier. Like I think she got very, she always, of course, wanted to be a grandmother because that's way easier than being a parent. And why would you be a parent if you didn't want to be a grandparent at some point? But I think she realized pretty, pretty early on that I was like, very clear. My sister, when she was growing up through high school and even through college, my sister thought she was going to have like seven kids. She always really dreamed of this giant family. And then she just got busy with life and realized that she was having a really good time. And um, her lifestyle, she, she's, uh, she travels a lot all over the place all the time. She lives a very wonderful, exciting, thrilling life. And, you know, and I, I don't, but, or, you know, I'm going to have a much more the same saying everyday life than my sister does. But my mom realized, I think pretty early on that uh, her pushing for grandkids was the only thing that was going to do was damage our relationship with her. It wasn't going to give us a different outcome. So she's always been really, she was actually nicer about it to my sister than I was because I really wanted to be an auntie. So I at some (laughs) point was like, uh, you'd been talking about all these kids, like, where are they? Um, and she finally just said to me, I think, I don't think that's my focus right now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. But you knew about this when you were very young. So you, yeah, you, you have very a, young. And do you remember why you thought, you know, the first time you thought about, oh, maybe not, you know, being a mom's not for me. I think it was just only that. I don't think it was any clearer than that. It was just being a mom is not, not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, some of it may have come, my sister uh, got into a lot of trouble very young. And the relationship that I saw between her and my parents, or the relationship I saw my parents in was one of total responsibility, because my sister was only 13, 14, but zero influence. Like there was nothing that they could say or do that would sway her, you know, like, so she got into trouble and she'd get grounded and you know, they, and then they'd have to go to work. And the moment they left, she was like, well, I'm done too. Like she'd leave too. And, you know, unless they wanted to like put locks on all of the doors, which is crazy. They just didn't have any authority with her. She was just like, I'm grown. I'm making my own decisions, you know, and she, and she was very grown for her age, but still I, it's terrifying, you know, to see kids that young making those kind of life altering decisions, you know? Um, and so I think I was already like kind of wary of that. Like I recognized that I didn't think that I wanted to replicate my parents' parenting style, mm-hmm. but I didn't really have a lot of strong other models of what to do. And I just was like, you know, I'm really, I know that I'm sort of not emotionally up for having this little being that I created hate me. And that's bound to happen. You know, as much as we love people, there's going to be one day, not even with kids, right? With just everybody, there's going to be one day where you're like, oh, I just don't even want to look at your face right now. And so to have that be coming from someone that, you know, was your 
child and still your responsibility. And you couldn't just be like, fine, let's take a break. You know, Um, just, I I just was like, I don't think I have the, I don't have the skills for that. Yeah, no, I completely, I mean, I understand. (laughs) I was like your sister when I was younger. Yeah. I was horrible. Um, I put my mom through hell and back. And uh, my dad and I also had like a really complicated relationship at the time. You know, when you're a teenager in general, you're just, you know, an ungrateful little shit. It, it happens to everyone. That's your job though, right? I mean, that's, that's your, your job is to push every boundary and test every button and try every envelope. Like that's how we grow as people. You yeah. Know? That's, that's, that's part of, there's nicer ways to do it and less nice ways to do it. But, but again, it's like, the reason that teenagers are shitty little assholes is because that's their job. Like that's their developmental job. And if they weren't, I'd be worried. Now, I mean, I agree with you, but at the same time, things have changed so much. You know, nowadays there's a lot more, I don't know, the way I see it, like just technology, everyone's has access to it. Like there's a lot more things out there that with information that young people can get their hands off on. Sorry. If their parents yeah. don't have that, you know, that, you know, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's have this chat, which by the way, my parents did not have with me. So I, everything I learned about sex and drugs, I learned from my friends who are 13 or 14 at the time. So that's not healthy at all. So now it's, it's, I don't know. I just feel that raising a kid nowadays for me would be really scary, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there is definitely something to the amount of information that they have access to and that it's unfiltered. And in fact, not, it's not just in, it's not information, it's marketing. Yep. You know, it's both all of the commercial images and messages. And, you know, if we sort of talk about all the pornography that they have access to that also, like, that's not information. That's a very specific presentation of something that isn't really real, you know? Yeah. And so that's where you get into some of these weird, weird things where, you know, boys don't, they prefer the way that um, fake tits look, look over real ones. Cause that's the only the images that they've been presented with. And so they've sort of been marketed to in this weird way and it's shaping them and shaping then of course, everyone around them. And, you know, I, I think that there's a, it's, it is brutal, but I don't, but it's just sort of like all of the old issues on steroids. Like, yeah. I don't think that anything, yeah. I don't think it's any less terrifying to raise a child now or more terrifying. You know, it's just that we have uh, more information about what it means to be a kid, you know? Yeah. But what you just said is perfect. It's the old issues on steroids is exactly yeah. that. I don't know. I used to be such a horrible teenager that I, I thought to myself once, <laughs> I was like, if I ever have a kid and the kid does half the things I do with the information they have now, I would die or I would kill the kid or I would die because honestly, I would have a heart attack basically raising a child. And I, you know, what I've seen from my friends that were holy terrors when they were young who have had kids, for the most part, it's actually made them very sensitive, involved parents and their kids are like totally straight and narrow, you know? Like, well, they just were, their kids are just like, you are so weird as a parent. Like, I just want to be normal. Like, I don't want to even, I'm not even, I don't even want to drink because you're weird. And, you know, it's just, it's like swinging back the other way. <laughs> well, that's another point of view. I think it's very interesting. I should ask my yeah. friends, the ones that were like really crazy during their childhood. Most of them have kids as well. So, um, so moving on, you are a stepmother though. But it hasn't been, it's only been like a couple of years, I understand. 
Tell me a little bit about yeah, that experience. I got married two years ago after dating a man for two years. And he had a daughter who was at the time 10. And her mom still lives in Harlem with her. So when I was still living full-time in New York, she would be with us on the weekends. So even then it was like part-time. And I didn't really feel like I had to take a lot of responsibility for it. Like I definitely was part of the team, but I didn't have to drive, you know, I didn't have to drive the boat. So I wasn't making the parenting decisions. Um, you know, of course, I'm always giving my opinion, but I was giving it just to my husband, not to like everybody. Um, and she and I have a really lovely relationship and I really like her. You know, she's, she's a teenager. She's turning 15 in January. So she's not without, you know, her challenges. But again, I don't, she's such a good kid. And even when she's, you know, rolling her eyes or whatever, it's just, I, I just smile. Cause again, I like, I just think that's part of her job, you know? And I, and I love it. And she's really like, you know, she's studies hard and like wants good grades and it's adorable, <laughs> but I don't, I didn't, it felt much more like being an auntie. You oh, know? Okay. I never felt like she's living with us, you know, full time. And I really have to adjust my life around this. It was like, yeah, she'd come on the weekends and visit me, you know, go do fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was pretty. And now that we're in California, she'll come and visit for a week at a time, but you know, so do my cousins. So it's, it's, um, it's been a very relaxed experience for me. Well, that's a, because I mean, I've heard some horror stories about child-free women getting, uh, but being in relationships with men that have, especially like toddlers or very small children from past relationships. Yeah. Well, and some of that, not to jump, but sorry to interrupt, but some of that I think is also some of those, I mean, I'm making a huge assumption here, but I think that some of those relationships, like unless the parents never intended to be a couple, splitting when the child is still a toddler is indicative in my opinion to some deeper issues happening you know and so it's not just like oh i have a relationship with someone who has a young child it's like i have a relationship with with someone who has a young child and oftentimes that will mean you know they haven't been separated from their ex long enough to be done with that fight you Mm. know and so it's i mean again the the biological mom went out of her way to make me feel welcome to you know like she's just been so nice to me and that also is not very common. Yeah. And, and I think that's because, you know, they had been split up for so long. Like just nobody, nobody cared at that point, you know, like they were just kind of co-parents and me being a new relationship didn't really upset, upset the boat in any way, mm-hmm. which I think had, had she been, had, had Pilar been a lot younger, may, may have done so because, you know, everyone's still trying to figure out their relationships. Yeah, I think so too. But I don't know. I don't, I don't think I could date it. I mean, I tried dating a guy with a kid. It was a mess. It was horrible. Like, honestly, it was just like, at the end of it, I was like, okay, that's going to be one of the things in my checklist, no kids. <laughs> or if they have any, you have to be like fully grown out of the house because otherwise it's, it's just, you know, it's a responsibility as well because you're part of their upbringing. Yeah. And again, if you can do that in sort of a, the way that you want, you know, the minimally influential, like, listen, I'm here if you need me, you know, just supportive sort of auntie role, like, great. But um, I had dated a man who had some, some younger kids and he was like, you know, oh, you should meet my kids. And I was like, we've been dating for like a month, <laughs> you know, like that's way too soon. Like, oh, I don't yeah, even know if yeah. I like you yet. And, and then why are you trying to introduce me to your kids now? You know what I mean? Like, don't, 
are, do you know if you even like me yet? And like, shouldn't we have our thing sort of state? So I, again, I think a lot of times that making huge generalizations here that men with kids, I mean, and I think this is true of men in general, <laughs> even it's like, I need you to come in and, and sort of be in my space the way that I want you to be in my space rather than being like, you know, how are we going to relate to each other as two wholly formed separate individuals? And I think that's why a lot of times, you know, women with kids do really well dating men with kids because they both are like, each of us could use a little help here, you know, and the other person already is sort of um, attuned, acclimated and experienced in taking care of a third party. So, you know, it's, it's always just how you do it, right? So it's not like, I don't know. Yeah, just it's, it's, it always depends. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. You mentioned that you had gotten your tube slide when you were 30. How long did it take you to find a doctor willing to do that? Um, uh, a long time. So I, again, my, my mom was a pediatrician. So I knew, like I knew that I wanted to have my two ties when I was 14. and you know, no doctor in the world is going to do that for you. But um, I decided when I was 30, that like, it's, it's time. I had health insurance, I was uh, about to get into a serious relationship, you know, and I just didn't want it to be a discussion. Like, I didn't want to have to be like, do do you want kids or not? I wanted to be like, I just, I just can't. So I talked to my childhood doctor, um, who was a family friend, and she recommended a, another female doctor to do the procedure. And I went in to talk to this, you know, the doctor that was going to do the surgery. And she didn't try to talk me out of it, but she said, you know, I'm going to have to refer you to psychological counseling to make sure that this is really what you want. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. I'm 30. I've known about this for, you know, as long as I've been fertile. It's ridiculous. I was like, if you want to talk to my pediatrician, if you want to talk to my mom, if you want to talk to my therapist, like you are welcome to talk to all of these women in my life. All of them will tell you the same thing. I've never wanted kids, you know, and, and that I always sort of felt like, listen, if I change my mind, I can adopt. Like I just never had the, the pull to biologically reproduce. And some, for some people, that's very strong. You know, some people, it's not that they want kids. It's that they want their kids. And a lot of people don't consider adoption a viable choice, yeah. which is also kind of insane to me, but you know, maybe I'm a little insane, who knows? <laughs> so, so I had to like really um, advocate on my behalf. And fortunately I have enough of that New York personality that I was, you know, I was able to kind of put my finger up and be like, there's no way that I'm talking about, you know, until she was like, okay, I got it. We'll do it. Good for you to stand up for yourself on one hand, but really like you only had to convince one doctor. Yes. Well, and I think that's because I had spent, you know, my growing up years convincing all of the doctors that knew me and were taking care of me. You know, my mom, who was a doctor, mm -hmm. my pediatrician, who was a doctor who I saw well into my twenties just because mm -hmm. I liked her. You know? <laughs> like, oh, I'd go to her office and I'd sit in these like tiny little orange plastic chairs when, you know, and there's dinosaurs on the walls. And, <laughs> hey, so you're a pediatrician. <laughs> you're a pediatrician until you're in your twenties. Oh yeah, a bit well, like I, uh, I think Ross Geller and friends also saw his pediatrician <laughs> until his adulthood. <laughs> I mean, you find somebody you like, someone that's good. Why would you? Do it? 
<laughs> I like that. So you have so, to yeah, so I only had to talk to one doctor, but again, I'm in California. So I'm in a very liberal area. And, and there are women who just aren't comfortable having to push that hard against the person that's supposed to be helping them. And I, I actually had a, 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 I remember talking about it and I was getting ready to, you know, find a doctor to do it. And I was speaking to a woman who had had her tubes died. And I said, oh, you know, tell me about your experience. I'm thinking of doing it. She said, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't. And I was totally taken aback. And I was like, why are you sorry that you did? She's like, oh, no, I'm super glad I did. I just don't know if it's right for anybody else. And I was like, that's crazy. That's weird. That's really weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that's how deep it is. You know, that's how much our culture like gets in that even if you're like, well, I've made this choice, but I don't think anyone else should. Yeah, no, I completely understand. Oh, wow. Well, okay, let's talk about Moxie a little bit. Sure. Because so it's so you have your own business um, and it's a bookkeeping business that we were just talking about it before we started our interview. Um, How long have you had Moxie for? Um, I I formed it as a company in 2003 and I had been a freelancer before that working for other people. Um, But I just sort of felt like I wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. And, you know, if I didn't want to work with a particular client, I didn't want anyone telling me that I had to. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, So in 2003, we incorporated, I hired an employee and we've just grown. That, that makes sense. But the one thing that, you know, you mentioned uh, is that you took a personal safety class in your twenties and that has been, I mean, you're crediting to that class, a lot of the success you've had on your business. And that really piqued my interest. I was like, how do you relate the two things? And this is mm-hmm. really, so. Yeah. So it's a very particular kind of class. It's a style of um, personal safety called impact. There's a, a famous book called the gift of fear written by a man named Gavin DeBecker, which is, it's kind of an intense book, but it talks about um, sort of the psychology of the predator, you know, and these sort of like clear warning signs that if you know how to read them are like street signs, you know, stop, yield, go, whatever, you know, and it's this thing of like um, forced teaming. So someone who you don't know saying, well, we should take care of this or guilt and manipulation. You know, when, when like a guy tries to hold a door open for you and you're like, I actually don't need that. And he's like, Oh, can anyone be a gentleman anymore? So there are these sort of like responses where one of them, you're just a jerk. Two of them, that's, weird, I need to be paying attention, three of them, and I like want to get out of the place right away. So it just it was this training that sort of um, talked about all of the pieces that happened before the danger, before the physical danger, right? And they, I mean, they also addressed the like worst case scenario situation too, but, but it was such a different approach because like I'd taken, you know, Aikido and some other just sort of physical stuff, but, but but I remember one of the martial arts that I took, I think it was Wing Chun. They said, you know, um, well, don't ever let your opponent get you on the ground because if they do, the fight's over. And I just sort of thought, well, that doesn't sound right. And when I took this other uh, method of self-defense, one of the first things they said was women are attacked differently than men. And women are most often thrown to the ground. And so that's where we're going to start showing you how to fight from because that's the most common Thing to happen. And it just was like based in reality and based in statistics and, you know, based in physics and neurobiology. And it just was like, it just so much made sense to me. And why I credit it with my success was 
I think it really softened me in a really interesting way that before that I'd sort of, you know, had that like New York fuck you vibe. And, uh, and so much of that was like this, um, you know, the best defense is a good offense. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be a real jerk to you before you can be a jerk to me. And, and by, by having this training that was just like, no, I actually know that I know what to do. And I actually trust my instincts. And I actually can tell, you know, if I'm having a really strong reaction, is it anxiety, which like is sort of fear over nothing? Or is it fear, which is a really strong indicator that there's actually something wrong that needs to be addressed, even if I don't know what it is. And I know, I knew the steps, I learned the steps of what to do, you know, whether to just cross the street or, you know, and, and it was at the, it was the moment in my life I was bartending at the time. And before that, if anyone had like offered to walk me home or offered to give me a ride, I'd be like, nah, I can handle myself. And after that class, I was like, that's just dumb. Like, of course I should have someone walk with me. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, you know, like I can choose to make this be about this guy patronizing me and asking me if I need to be walked home, or I can realize it doesn't really matter what his intention is. I actually am safer with someone else by my side. And unfortunately, it will say for if it happens to be a man, but, but I mean, but maybe not even true anymore once I learned how to defend myself because I wasn't going to start a fight anymore. You know, and I think, again, that's a very like male energy thing to do is to be like, oh, you're, you want to start a fight? Fine. Oh, let's do this. And that you can get pulled into a fight that you didn't necessarily want to be in. So I, so I feel like it just relaxed me and really helped me like pick my battles more. And so again, I, the way that that translated for me into business was if I was having a sales call with someone and I felt like they weren't listening to my no, you know, can you do this? No, we don't. Or that, you know, or they were just showing me signs of disrespect or, or what, or I just didn't get a good feeling from them. I learned very quickly to be like, I don't have to know why I just have to, I just have to trust myself. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. And also, you know, you just mentioned, you know, about trusting yourself, just trusting your gut, trusting that instinct that you have. I think we've lost so much of that. We, as in like, in general, the human beings, you know, all the human race, uh, we rely so much nowadays on, on other things to keep our brains busy and we're not really listening to what our heart or our gut is telling us. And that's really powerful, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be applied in, to anything as well. <laughs> anything. <laughs> anything. To anything. Yeah. For sure. No, that's really cool. I always wanted to take a self-defense class, but I don't, you know, it's funny. I live in, well, I'm Colombian and uh, Colombia is not very safe. But it's rare. I mean, it's not like they're giving, they should be giving these classes in every single gym or whatever. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You can, you can learn, how, you, you can learn salsa here anywhere you want, but <laughs> <laughs> self-defense is not so much. <laughs> you have to make it salsa self-defense. That's all. That would be so that's cool. New... <laughs> Anyone hearing this in Colombia is a great business idea. <laughs> Oh, well, um, Ian, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Fortunately, we're running out of time. So before I let you go, is there anything else you would like to add to your interview? No, I mean, I think trust your instincts is kind of the theme of, of the talk. And I think that that's very true. You know, that, that if, you're, if you're choosing whatever lifestyle you're choosing, if you feel like it's right for you, but you're questioning that because of the people around you, like go find people that will support you. 
Absolutely. Well, I completely agree. So <laughs> thanks again for your time. Uh, yeah. It was a pleasure having you in my show. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.